Hello and welcome to the reading of The Courier for Thursday, December 29th, two days before a brand new year. I am your reader, Peter Welch, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. Liquor sales set record. New favorite emerges as Iowa sales set mark for third straight year. In Des Moines, Iowans shook things up when it came to their favorite liquor brand this past year and set yet another record for liquor sales. For the first time in a decade, Black Velvet Canadian Whiskey was unseated by consumers as Iowa's preferred liquor by Tito's Handmade Vodka, according to a new annual report from the Iowa Alcoholic Beverages Division which serves as the state's exclusive liquor and wine wholesaler. Iowa is one of 18 states that directly controls the sale and distribution of alcoholic beverages. The division also regulates and licenses establishments that sell alcoholic beverages in Iowa. Black Velvet, which had held the number one spot since at least fiscal 2012, when the state began reporting the top brands, slipped to number two. Captain Morgan Original Spiced Rum, Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey, and Hawkeye Vodka rounded out the top five on the annual list of top sellers as they did in 2021. We've turned a corner, haven't we? Said Carla Zadernick, owner of West Side Spirits in Cedar Rapids. The reason Tito sells is their branding is extraordinary, Zadernick said. Either people go for cheap stuff or they go for the high end. But it's interesting with Tito's because it fits in everywhere. It can fit in at a fancy restaurant or you can get it at a college party or college bar and people know it and love it. Or you can get it at a high end bar and people are putting Tito's in their vodka drink. It just kind of spans all generations and all incomes. Income brands. Excuse me, I should say Iowa brands. Pardon me. Iowa brands that top the list include Blue Ox Vodka of Grimes, which it, which retained its top position, followed by Clive-based Gotcha Vodka, Cedar Ridge Bourbon from Swisher, and Swell Vodka and Prairie Fire Whiskey, both from Cumming. Rising sales. Iowa set a record for liquor sales for the third consecutive fiscal year. Sales topped $431 million for the fiscal year that spanned July 2021 through June 2022, a 3.75% increase over last year record of $415 million, uh, $415.8 million. The Alcoholic Beverages Division, ABD, generated a significant return on investment to the citizens of Iowa, in the first year, 2022, Division Administrator Stefan Larson wrote in the report, the amount of sales and revenue generated to the state general fund was an all-time record of $150.1 million, which was an increase of $284,106 over the previous fiscal year. The sales growth generated record liquor net profits of $120.6 million, which will be used to support essential state programs and services. 
income from liquor profits, beer, and wine taxes, and revenue from licensing and regulatory efforts by the state agency translated into a transfer of $118.1 million to the state's general fund budget, $30.3 million to the public health budget for the administration of substance abuse and prevention education programs, and a new transfer of $1 million to the Iowa Economic Development Authority for promotion of tourism in conjunction with the Wine and Beer Promotion Board, the report says. Local retailers attributed the increase in sales to an influx of customers venturing out, including returning to bars and restaurants with the living with the lifting I should say of COVID-19 restrictions and as concerns and hesitancy to be in large groups wane. In people sales as well have increased and Iowans prefer have shift preference I should say have shifted preferring to trade up to higher end brands and branching out to try new things said Michael Simonozola whiskey Liquor Department Manager at John Gregory's Groceries in Gregory in Iowa City. It's a trend he attributed to higher wages and federal stimulus checks that fueled increased statewide spending in last fiscal year. We we're also expanding our tequila section by about thirty percent over the past year or so. Uh, Michael went on to say, "Tequila is probably the next big thing." Despite the increase uh, of record sales, uh, though. The, uh, the one thing that the, the, the alcohol uh, field or business has been facing with is like everything else, and that would be bottlenecking. In other words, uh, not being able to get products when they wanted something. Despite record sales, supply chains and staffing issues persist with the alcoholic beverages industry, posing challenges that required flexibility from retailers, according to the state division. With the ongoing supply chain issues, it was critical for ABD to maintain a more diverse selection of products, allowing substitutions to be readily available to the marketplace, according to the state report. There's still a lot of hiccups out there, but not nearly as much as the previous couple of years, Mike went on to say. There's a lot of stuff that's been out of stock for months or even years on end that usually we didn't have much of a problem getting a hold of before 2020. Let's take a look at Waterloo now. Warming shelter to open on the 15th of January. Hospitality House now has dedicated building for homeless in the winter. As winter sets in, so does the cold. Local organizations and organizers hope that a renovated building brings comfort to those enduring bitter temperatures. On January 15th, a permanent warming shelter at 1022 West 5th Street will be ready to shelter those experiencing homelessness. Hospitality House Director Joni Hansen said that she's envisioned such a space since the 2019 polar vortex. I will never forget the morning that we were just wall to wall with people at Hospitality House, Hansen said. They were coming in and they had a frostbite. Some of them didn't have co- uh, coats. They didn't even have mittens. They didn't have stocking caps. We cannot have people doing this. She said that that year, as the wind chill reached 50 degrees below zero, the organization realized it had to do something about the problem. The former dental office is expected to accommodate 30 people. Hansen previously reported the shelter will provide 18 beds for men 
in a separate room with at least four beds for women. Those using the facility also can take a shower, use a washer and dryer, and get a light snack at night and a light breakfast in the morning. People who may not be allowed at another shelter are welcome at the warming shelter. If they're under the influence, as long as they're not creating a problem, they can come and have a bed, she says. That's the whole deal of this, is to provide safety. And then the second goal is to get them sustainable. The shelter also will provide case management to get people on a housing assessment list. The organization received a $75,000 grant from the Blackhawk County Gaming Association. Its goal was to match that amount, but they ended up raising almost a almost $250,000, according to Bill Bradford, who helped spearhead the fundraising effort along with his wife, Lisa. Bradford said that it cost about $170,000 to purchase and renovate the building. Hansen said that the remaining money will fund peer support to man the overnight shelter. The rest of the money will go toward keeping the warming shelter open. Before current building was, uh, was renovated, a warming shelter opened in the Jubilee United Methodist Church Freedom Center on East 4th Street. Hansen said it operated for about two weeks until volunteers learned the facility couldn't house a shelter because there was no sprinkler system. The warming shelter moved to the Hawkeye Community College Metro Center, operated there for two winters. The Metro Center was sold last year. During the winter of 2021 to 2022, the warming shelter was operated out of Hospitality House at one at 1003 Mulberry Street. Hansen said that the warming shelter usually operates from January 1st to April 1st. When it isn't being used as a warming shelter, she wants to use the building as a resource center. We don't want people to feel that they donated money for an empty building to be here for nine months out of the year, she says. So we'll be doing some community things here, some giveaways, maybe some meals, that type of thing. All right, what else is going on here in the paper? Iowa COVID cases plunge in past week. Infection rate declined about 40%, the state says. The state's COVID-19 infection rate declined about 40% over the past week, according to state health data. An Iowa Department of Health and Human Services update Wednesday showed 2,148 infections in the past week among people who were not previously infected by the coronavirus. The total number of positive tests was 2,808, which includes, which includes reinfections of people who had already contracted COVID-19. The state does not include reinfections in the new document cases it reports to federal health officials. And the state does not track the results of at-home rapid tests. The number of infected people who are receiving inpatient treatments at Iowa hospitals declined 11% from a week ago. On Wednesday, there were 243 people hospitalized with COVID-19. Of those, 20 were under intensive care. The state also Wednesday reported 36 new deaths that might have been caused by the virus for a total of 10,423 since the start of the pandemic. More than half of the state has elevated has an elevated risk rather of the virus, according to a recent U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention analysis of infection and hospitalization rates. Counties where the virus community levels are rated medium or high are in western Iowa and 
far northern and eastern parts of the state. The community levels for COVID are currently low in Blackhawk County, according to the CDC, with 9.4 new COVID-19 admissions per 100,000 population and just 2.8% of a Taft inpatient beds in use by patients with confirmed COVID-19. There have been no new cases reported in the county in recent days, according to the New York Times COVID tracker, and the country has a seven-day average of 28 cases. Okay, here's something else uh, that's um, kind of interesting. This is called My Five Top Stories from 2022. Courier Public Safety reporter Jeff Reitz details his most memorable stories from 2022. Homicide record. Only eight days into 2022, a young man was gunned down with while sitting in a parked car. In the 12 months that followed, eight other people also met with violent fates in Waterloo, pushing the number of homicides for the calendar year to nine. The number is a tie for the city record, a record high that hasn't been matched in almost three decades. In 1993, Waterloo had nine homicides. Five of those remain unsolved 29 years later. Of the nine slayings in 2022, seven of the deaths were by firearm. One was by fire, and the last was apparently by fists. Police have made arrests for murder or related charges in five of the cases so far. Acquittal in shotgun attack. After six years, a former school bus driver was acquitted of wounding his mother's ex-boyfriend with repeated blasts from a shotgun. In 2016, the trial highlighted the powerlessness felt by victims of domestic violence and raised questions about self-defense. Prosecutors said that the son planned the confrontation with the boyfriend and asked jurors to convict him of attempted murder. The defense noted that the boyfriend had approached the son with a metal bar. Jurors determined that the son's actions were justified. Cousins 10 years out, after a decade of following the disappearance and deaths of Lyric Cook Morrissey and Elizabeth Collins. I wish there were developments to report, but there just aren't. The tragedy marked its 10-year milestone in July, and the killer or killers remain at large. Lost Island Theme Park. After years of anticipation, the Long Island Theme Park opened in Waterloo, adding to the entertainment district that includes the Lost Island Water Park, Bamboo Ridge, Campgrounds, and Isle Casino Hotel. The theme park introduced the community to the realms of Mura, Awa, Adera, Utah, and Tamarki with twisting and turning spinning rides. It also gave the courier staff an excuse to enjoy the rides in the name of journalism. Makokata Caves Tragedy, a perfect summer Summer outing turned into the stuff of nightmares in July when three members of a Cedar Fall family were killed while camping at Maquoketa Caves State Park. Tyler and Sarah Schmidt and their six-year-old daughter died in their tent. The nine-year-old son survived and ran for help. Within hours, the attacker, 23-year-old Anthony Sherwin of Nebraska, was found dead, having taken his own life, according to investigators. For Iowa outdoor enthusiasts, the slangs, at one of the state's most popular natural destinations, hit close to home. The motives for the tragedy remains elusive. What else is going on here in Waterloo? Gaming funds boost childcare. 
Cedar Valley kids get $300,000 from BHCGA. The Blackhawk County Gaming Association announced Wednesday that nearly 60% of its latest round of grant funding will go towards a new child care facility for workers at Unity Point Health and other businesses. The nonprofit Cedar Valley Kids will receive $300,000 as part of the $568,814 in grants awarded to eight local projects. According to Mary Jansen, one of the organization's founders, the money will help to close the gap in construction costs for the new facility expected to be built in the North Crossing area near U.S. Highway 63 and Logan Avenue. Stakeholders started talking in early 2018 about what could be done to recruit and retain employees in the Cedar Valley and a 9,146-square-foot facility now costing upward of $2.5 million was born with hopes of more in the future. The partners, Unity Point Health, Western Home Communities, the VGM Group, University of Northern Iowa, Child Care Resources, Referral, and Levi Architecture are working to open a temporary child care location by the end of January in the building housing by Allen College Distinguished Alumni Hall of Fame. The initial space will have a 58-child capacity for Unity Point workers with kids ranging from 6 months old to 11 years of age. The new facility will double that number to 116, of which 60 will be allotted to Unity Point employees and any other interested workers and their families. The hope is to seek bids for construction in the spring, with completion expected in 2024. Other beneficiaries of the latest grant including or funding will include Friends of the Waterloo Public Library, $96,000 for youth and teen dates, 24-7 BLAC, $54,000 for Project Home, House of Hope, $36,000 for Pillar Porch Rebound, or rebuild, I should say, excuse me. City of Evansdale, 34000 for Willow Run Dog Park. And the Salvation Army, $23,814 for staff expansion. Jesse Cosby Center, $20,000 for a rebuild project. Impact Foundation, 5000 for the Young Gentleman's Butillion. The Black Hawk County Gaming Association's Board of Directors accepted applications and rates and prioritizes local projects based on on public impact and other guidelines. All awarded projects have one thing in common. They will move Black Hawk County toward support future growth according to a press release. Revenues come from fees received from the Isle Casino Hotel Waterloo since its inception, in 2007, the association says it's gifted more than $70 million to 657 different projects in seven counties in 51 cities in northeast Iowa. We realize the effort and time it takes to cultivate meaningful projects in our community, and it's never an easy decision, but we're proud to partner with these organizations as they work to create opportunities for Blackhawk County residents, adds Board President Eric Johnson in a statement. The next Blackhawk County grant cycle opens on the 3rd of January. And if you want more information, you can get that by calling 319-433-1153 to address any additional questions you might have. Also in Waterloo, 
VGM to add on-site child care center. The new center will, will help to add space for 66 children. VGM Group plans to add on-site child care centers at its Waterloo headquarters. The center scheduled to open in a year. will provide spaces for up to 66 children ages 6 weeks to 5 years. For years, a significant shortage of child care options has put undue pressure on many working parents in the Cedar Valley area, including our employees and owners. Sarah Lorries of VGM Group's chief uh, people officer said in a news release, we wanted to be part of the solution and we are excited to offer much needed support to families by helping address child care needs with a reliable, quality, reasonably priced option. The on-site center will feature appropriate space for classes as well as playground facilities with renovations slated to begin this spring. To operate the Child Care Center, VGM Group will partner with local provider community United Child Care Centers, which operates three other child care centers locally. At VGM, we are committed to making a difference on, on the lives of our employee owners and our communities, said Mike Malareau, VGM Group's chief executive officer. We are honored to be able to partner with Community United to ease this way for working parents and their children. Enrollment is expected to begin in the summer of 2023. Details regarding hours of operation, wait list process, and other operations will be announced as they are finalized in the coming months. VGM families who utilize the new center can expect to pay market rate for child care. We're thrilled to be able to offer another benefit to our employees, owners, and families in our area, Lori says. We will continue to explore solutions that make a difference for our VGM families and the communities that we serve. A portion of this project is made possible through a grant awarded by the state of Iowa. All right, let's go to Des Moines now. Uh, this uh, column is Capital Notebook, and the title of this article is Jewel, that's J-U-U-L, agrees to pay $5 million over ads. In Des Moines, the nation's largest e-cigarette maker, Jewel Labs Incorporated, will revamp its advertising and retail practices in Iowa and is going and will pay $5 million over a four-year period in order to resolve potential violations of state law. Iowa Attorney General Tom Miller announced the settlement Wednesday to resolve potential violations of Iowa's deceptive trade practices. Miller alleges that Iowa youth under the age of 21 were targeted by the company's products and became users in violation of state law. This agreement strikes a balance in truthful advertising and promotions of jewel devices and pods, Miller said in a statement. E-cigarettes should be promoted to smokers as a less harmful alternative, but not to youth. As part of the agreement, Jewel will send in $1.25 million each year to the Iowa Department of Health and Human Services. The funding will be used to provide resources and education to Iowa youth under the age of 21 targeted by the company's products, who became users, including assistance in quitting e-cigarette use, usage. The company, which uh, denies any wrongdoing, also agrees, among other provisions, to not target youth in Iowa with advertising, promotion, or marketing of Juul products, uh, 
require individuals to be age-verified on any website it owns or operates, not display jewel products anywhere in retail locations other than behind the counter or allow customers to accept and access those products without the assistance of employees, limit online transactions to no more than two jewel devices per month, 10 jewel devices per year, and 60 jewel pods per month. Take reasonable steps to limit retail transactions in Iowa to one jewel device and or 16 jewel pods per transaction. Not sell items to consumers who are under the age of 21. Disclose the nicotine content in its products. The company also agrees to designate company's officer to ensure that its agreement with the Iowa Attorney General's office is followed and to address compliance-related issues. Jewel Labs sought guidance from Miller in 2018, who the company tapped as part of the initiative to keep its products out of the hands of young people. The e-cigarette maker announced in April 2018 that it would support state and federal initiatives to raise the minimum purchase age for tobacco products as a part of a $30 million initiative over the next three years. Part of that funding includes research and a panel of former attorney generals and public health officials and experts assembled and led by Miller, who has a record of taking on the tobacco industry. In 1998, Miller and attorney generals of 45 other states signed a settlement agreement with the four largest tobacco companies in the U.S. to settle suits on state health care costs associated with treating tobacco-related illnesses. The agreement, the largest in U.S. history, called for companies to pay the 46 states $206 billion over 25 years and continual annual payments after that based on the number of cigarettes sold nationwide. The state has received more than $1.41 billion in payments in the past 24 years under the Master Settlement Agreement. Let's go back to Waterloo now. One arrested in Christmas Eve burglary. Twas the night before Christmas and all down Sycamore Street, not a creature was stirring except for a thief. Waterloo police arrested a man after he was caught breaking into a business on Christmas Eve. Aaron Eugene Spears, age 44, of 240 Leonard Avenue, Evansdale, was arrested for a third-degree burglary on Saturday. Bond was set at $1,000. Residents called 911 around 7.30 p.m. Saturday after noticing someone park near uh, Chris Electric Supply Company at 118 Sycamore Street and walked around to the back of the building. The moon on the breast of the noon-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to fresh footprints below. Officers followed the footprints to a rear garage door that had been forced open. Police surrounded the business and told the person inside to come out. After a short time, Spears exited the building and was detained, according to court records. Officers found boxes filled with items near the door, more items along the path to his vehicle. Also in Waterloo, Salvation Army fundraising falls short. Now that the bells heard at the grocery stores are silent, the Salvation Army has found itself short of the Christmas fundraising goal. The Salvation Army of Waterloo Cedar Falls is $49,000 behind on its Red Kettle campaign. According to the organization's Facebook page, its Red Kettle goal was at $225,000. The overall Christmas goal made up 
of both the Red Kettle and the Christmas Mail campaign is $730,000. Overall, it's $380,000 away from reaching the goal. The Christmas fundraising season ends on the 15th of January. The organization received multiple special coins and hopes its annual auction will help offset the shortages. Until December 30th at 3 p.m., people can place bids on the coins. Items available for bid also include 12 one-ounce U.S. American Gold Eagle coins with a minimum bid of $1,823 per coin. A 1910 Indian head, $2.5 gold coin with a minimum bid for $490. A 2015 Special Service uh, Force gold coin, one-tenth rather, with a minimum bid of $225. An 1855 California gold half-dollar coin with a minimum bid of $125. An 1854 California gold half-dollar coin with a minimum bid of $30, a one-ounce silver bar with a minimum bid of $25, and finally a one-ounce silver coin with a minimum bid of $25. Corps Officer Major Shannon Thies said that the officials are hoping that the auction will help bring the organization closer to its goal. The season was tough, Thies said in a news release. We were short on bell ringers, and we experienced blizzard weather toward the end of the campaign. And we also understand that times are tough, and many simply do not have the extra funds to give this year. She said that the organization is grateful for the bell ringers that stood outside in the cold and the snow. People may bid on multiple items. Final bids will then be reviewed, and winners will be notified. Payment must be made in either cash or a cashier's check by noon on the 6th of January. Bids can be received by email or by phone. Email is the preferred contact. Bidders should send their name and contact number and items and bid amount to Saw Waterloo. Let me spell that for you. S-A-W-A-T-E-R-L-O-O-C-F at gmail.com. And those wanting to place bids over the phone should provide their name and their contact number item and bid the amount by calling 319-830-7755. And I'd like to remind you again that you are listening to the reading of The Courier. And this is for Thursday, December 29th, with two days ago before the new year. And I am your reader, Peter Welch, and this is IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. Uh, Normally, at this time uh, of our program, we we have uh, obituary news. Now, we've got it, but what we're going to read here uh, are some of the very famous names of uh, people and celebrities who passed uh, this year. And we can't possibly read all of them because there are quite a lot. But let me read some of them to you. Uh, we'll start, of course, with uh, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, there was Loretta Lynn, Sidney Poitier, Olivia Newton-John, Angela Lansbury, Mike Leach. Um, we also have, um, let me take, I'm just looking here as we're going along here, Orrin Hatch, Madeline Albright, um, Crystal Alley, Ray Liotta, Peter Bogdanovich. Um, we have Robert Durst, uh, Ronnie Spector, Charles McGee, 
uh, Meatloaf, you know, the rock singer. Uh, we also have Louis Anderson, the comedian. And we also have P.J. O'Rourke, Alan Ladd Jr., the Oscar winner producer and studio boss of 20th Century, uh, William Hurt, the actor. Um, we also are, uh, I'm just looking here quickly as I'm doing this, Naomi Judd, the, um, the family har harmonies with daughter Wyona, um, Fred Ward, the veteran actor who bought a, a gruff tenderness to a tough guy role. Uh, in show in, in a movie called The Right Stuff. Uh, Vangelis, the Greek electronic composer who wrote many uh, award-winning scores. Um, Bradford, Bradford Freeman, James Kahn, Ivana Trump, Paul Servino, Tony Dow from Leave it to Beaver, Bill Russell, uh, Vin Scully, the television uh, broadcast announcer. I think I mentioned Olivia Newton-John already. Um, Bernard Shaw, um, and uh, Ken Starr, the former federal uh, appellate judge and prominent attorney. Um, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, the, um, the musician. Julie Powell, Leslie Jordan, and like, and like I said, there's a lot more here. I can't read them all. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to say uh, Christy Alley, uh, the actress, and there are many more. So yeah, we, we lost a lot of very famous, very, very talented people um, this year. All right, let's take a look at some other news here. Suspect pleads not guilty in attack. This is in the News Digest part of the paper. In San Francisco, David DePape pleaded not guilty Wednesday to six charges, including attempted murder in the break-in of U.S. home and uh, house, rather, of Speaker Nancy Pelosi's home and beating of her 82-year-old husband, on the 28th of October, prosecutors say DePape, age 42, planned to kidnap the speaker who was in Washington at the time when he broke into the couple's San Francisco home, authorities said. Instead, DePape severely beat her husband, Paul Pelosi, with a hammer in an attack that was witnessed by two police officers and shocked the political world. Paul Pelosi underwent surgery to repair a skull fracture and injuries to his right arm and hand. This month, a judge ruled prosecutors presented enough evidence during a preliminary hearing to move forward. DePape is still being held without bail. His state case returns to court on the 23rd of February. French defense chief visits Ukraine. France's defense minister on Wednesday pledged further military support for Ukraine insisting his government's backing is unfledging while efforts are being made with Moscow to reach an eventual negotiated end to Russia's invasion. Minister for the Armed Services Sebastian Lecarnu uh, said that support will include French army equipment and $212 million fund that would allow Ukraine to purchase weaponry. While France has been less vocal about its backing for Ukraine than the U.S. and Britain, it has sent a steady supply of weapons to Ukraine. Earlier on on Wednesday, in his annual speech to Ukraine Parliament, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky urged the European Union to open membership talks with his country after granting it a candidate status in June. He also praised relations with the U.S., saying its decision to send Patriot missiles is a special sign of trust in Ukraine. 
Let's take a look at some other news briefs here. COVID-19, the U.S. announced that the new COVID-19 testing requirements on Wednesday for all travelers from China joining other nations imposing restrictions because of a surge of infections following the rollback of China's strict and anti-virus controls. Syria talks, the Turkish Syrian and Russian defense ministers held previously unannounced talks on the Syrian crisis, the refugee problem, and efforts for a joint struggle against terror organizations present on Syrian territory in Moscow, the Turkish and Russian defense ministry said on Wednesday. It was the first many ministerial level meeting between rivals Turkey and Syria since the start of the Syrian uh, conflict 11 years ago. Philippine flooding, heavy rains and floods that devastated parts of the Philippines over the Christmas weekend left it at least 29 dead and 25 missing. The National Disaster Response Agency said on Wednesday more than 86,000 people were still in emergency shelters. Korean tensions. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un presented new plans to further bolster his military power next year at a meeting of top political officials, state media reported Wednesday, an indication he'll continue his provocative weapons displays. Pipeline. A Swiss court granted a six-month stay of bankruptcy to the operating company for the never-opened Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which was built to bring Russian gas to Germany, but put on ice shortly before Russia invaded Ukraine in February, according to a notice published on Wednesday. And finally, Nazi trial. In Margard Furchner, age 97, on Wednesday, appealed her conviction on Wednesday of being an accessory to more than 10,000 murders when she was a secretary to the commander of the Nazi Stotthof concentration camp during World War II. Delaware man gets 19-year sentence. A judge gives longest term so far in plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer. This is in Grand Rapids now. A Delaware trucker described as an architect of the conspiracy to kidnap Michigan's governor was sentenced Wednesday to more than 19 years in prison, the longest term yet given to anyone convicted in the plot. Prosecutors sought a life sentence for Barry Croft, Jr., age 47, who was the fourth and final federal defendant to learn of his fate. Judge Robert J. Jonker described him as the idea guy behind the plot and called him a very convincing communicator for people who were open to his views Defense attorney Joshua Blanchard said he would appeal the sentence. Croft and Adam Fox were convicted in August of conspiracy charges in Grand Rapids. Croft also found guilty of possessing an unregistered explosive. Fox, age 39, was sentenced Tuesday to 16 years behind bars. The government also sought a life sentence for him. Both men were accused of hatching a stunning plot to abduct Governor Gretchen Whitmer, from her vacation home just before the 2020 presidential election. The conspirators were furious over tough COVID-19 restrictions that Whitmer and officials in other states put in place during the early months of the pandemic, as well as perceived threats to gun ownership. And in Jerusalem, Israeli government to focus on the West Bank, Netanyahu's incoming hardline coalition to legitimize settlements 
in Jerusalem, Benjamin Netanyahu, incoming hardline Israeli government, put West Bank settlement expansion at the top of its priority list on Wednesday, vowing to legalize dozens of Ill- illegally built outposts and annex the occupied territory as part of its deal with the ultra-nationalist allies. The coalition agreements, released a day before the government is to be sworn into office also included language endorsing discrimination against LGBTQ people on religious grounds, contentious judicial reforms, as well as generous stipends for ultra-Orthodox men who prefer to study instead of work. The package laid the groundwork for what is expected to be a stormy beginning of the country's most religious and right-wing government in history, potentially putting it at odds with large parts of the Israeli public and escalating tensions with the Palestinians. What worries me the most is that these agreements change the democratic structure of what we know of as the state of Israel, says Tomer Naor, chief legal officer of the Movement for Quality Government in Israel. Israel captured the West Bank in 1967, along with the Gaza Strip and East Jerusalem territory, the Palestinians seek for a future state. Israel has built dozens of Jewish settlements homes to about half a million Israelis who live alongside about 2.5 million Palestinians. And in Dallas, many people are still stranded. Southwest Airlines flight cancellations continue to snowball. Travelers who counted on Southwest Airlines to get them home suffered another wave of canceled flights Wednesday. And pressure grew on the federal government to help customers get reimbursed for unexpected expenses they incurred because of the airline's meltdown. Exhausted Southwest travelers tried finding seats on other airlines or renting cars to get to their destination, but many remained stranded. The airline CEO said it could be next week before the flight schedule returns to normal. By early afternoon on the East Coast, about 90% of all canceled flights Wednesday in the U.S. were on Southwest, according to the Flight Aware Tracking Service. Other airlines recovered from the ferocious winter storms that hit large swaths of the country over the weekend, but not Southwest, which scrubbed 2,500 flights Wednesday and 2,300 more on Thursday. The Dallas airline was undone by a combination of factors, including an antiquated crew scheduling system and a network design that allows cancellations in one region to cascade throughout the country rapidly. Those weaknesses are not new. They helped cause a similar failure by Southwest in October of 2021. The federal government is now investigating what happened at Southwest, which carries more passengers within the United States than any other airline. In a video Southwest posted late Tuesday, CEO Robert Jordan said that Southwest would operate a reduced schedule for several days, but hoped to be back on track before next week. Transportation Secretary Pete Boltjig, who has criticized airlines for previous uh, disruptions, said that the meltdown was the only word he could think of to describe this week's events at Southwest. He noted that that while cancellations across the rest of the industry declined to about 4% of scheduled flights, they remained above 60% at Southwest. He vowed to hold the airline accountable and push it to reimburse travelers. The other large U.S. airlines use hub and spoke 
networks in which flights radiate out from a few major or hub airports. That helps limit the reach of disruptions caused by bad weather in parts of the country. Southwest, however, has a point-to-point network in which planes crisscross the country during the day. This can increase the utilization and efficiency of each plane, but problems in one place can ripple across the country and leave crews trapped out of position. Well, I'm sure you probably know about uh, the the storms, the the, uh, record-breaking historical uh, snowstorms that have been hitting Buffalo. And this article is about winter weather, and it's called Guard Knocks on Doors, Buffalo Regions Fears More Blizzard Victims That Could Be Uncovered. So in Buffalo, New York, the National Guard went door-to-door in parts of Buffalo on Wednesday to check on people who lost power during the area's deadliest winter storm in decades. And authorities faced the tragic possibility of finding more victims amid melting snow. Already more than 30 deaths have Deaths have been reported in western New York from the blizzard that raged uh, Friday and Saturday across much of the country with Buffalo in its crosshairs. The deep freeze eased into mild weather on Wednesday, and the numbers of lingering power outages dwindled. National Guard members knocked on doors in Buffalo and its suburbs, Erie County Executive Mark Polencar said. The county encompasses Buffalo. We are fearful that there are individuals who may have perished living alone or people who are not doing well, uh, he goes on to say. Buffalo Police Commissioner Joseph Gramagelia says that officers from his and other agencies also were searching for uh, uh, victims, sometimes using officers' personal snowmobiles, trucks, and other equipment. With the death toll already surpassing that of the area's notorious blizzard of 1977, Officials faced questions about the response to last week's storm. They insisted they prepared, but the weather was extraordinarily even for a region prone to powerful winter storms. The city did everything that it could under historic blizzard conditions, Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown said in a news conference. With enough snow remaining, that driving was all still banned in New York. Second most populous city, officials worked to clear storm drains and watched a forecast that calls for some rain later in the week. Erie County officials said that they're preparing for the possibility of some flooding and of ice jams in creeks. The National Weather Service said any flooding that was expected would be minor. Temperatures are expected to rise into the mid-40s on Wednesday and the low 50s on Friday. Buffalo, Nigeria International Airport reopened after a five-day closure, though the airport's website listed almost all scheduled flights as canceled or delayed. While suburban roads and most major highways in the area reopened on Tuesday, state military police were assigned to enforce Buffalo's driving ban. Uh, Pollen cars went on to say that the goal was to have at least one lane on every street open by Wednesday evening. It's, a, it's tough going. Even on some of the city's main streets, there are still cars buried in snow that were being towed Wednesday to make way for the snowplows. Okay, let's go to the entertainment section of the paper, What to Watch on Television on Thursday. For December 29th, you've got Gangs of London on AMC. This is the season's finale. 
the British crime drama ends its second season. The series has been renewed for season three. On Brit Box, that this is a new series. Uh, the show is called Deadline. When Natalie Varga stands accused of murdering her husband in cold blood, disgraced investigative journalist James Alden finds himself captivated by the case, a mystery that broadens it broadens into a darker, stranger narrative as the London setting shifts to Hungarian high society. With the court of public opinion ruling Natalie guilty until proven innocent, can James separate the truth from the fiction? Coach Prime on Prime Video. This is a new series. This four-episode docuseries goes inside the Jackson State University Tigers football program and their historic 2022 season. Pop Star's Best of 2022 on the CW channel at 7 p.m. Host Elizabeth Stanton counts down the most memorable moments and trends from 2022. Christina on the Coast on HGTV at 7 p.m. In the episode Big Family Tiny Kitchen, grade school sweethearts enlist Christina Hall's help to expand their tiny kitchen into an indoor-outdoor entertainment space for the extended or for the entire extended family. The Wheel on NBC at 7 p.m., a spin and twin and win with categories including astrology, presidents, and country music. Contestants lean on celebrity experts uh, to, to assist them. Uh, Chrissy Metz, Sonia Richards, Ross, Russell Dickerson, Lonnie Love, Brie Bella, and Clay Aiken will all be lending a hand. Lux for Less, HGTV on 8 p.m., uh, Butler's Pantry, please. Young parents with caviar dreams on a modest budget hope to transform their beat-up kitchen and living spaces. Mitchell Smith Boyd and his team look to create a Butler's Pantry, a kitchen counter with built-in phone chargers and living areas that feel right out of a magazine. And the best of all, the smoke with Matt Barnes and uh, Stephen Jackson. Wu-Tang Clan mastermind and music producer RZA reflects on the creation of the iconic hip-hop group with former NBA stars Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson in season three finale. And that is at 10 p.m. and that will be the season's finale. Uh, before we leave this page, don't forget about Catch a Classic star of the month, Ava Gardner on TCM at beginning at 7 p.m. And the movies that uh, TCM will be running will be The Great Sinner, On the Beach, The Snows of Kilimanjaro, The Gypsy of Hollywood, and The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. Well, let's see. What's the weather outlook? Well, today, uh, areas of fog this morning, uh, high of 45. Tonight, it will be a little colder, a shower early. Uh, 20 degrees will be the temperature. Friday, there'll be low clouds, and there'll be a high of 34 and a low of 23. Saturday, it will be cloudy, a high of 40 degrees and a low of 26. Sunday, it will be mostly cloudy, a high of 38 and a low of 28. And on Monday, rain and drizzle, a high of 39 and 30, 35 at night. That will certainly help to wash away more of, of the snow that we got. Well, we've got a few minutes left here, so I thought what we would do is briefly take a look at uh, the, the unforgettable films that were released this year. Uh, the Fablemans tops yearly spot, plus nine other movies you, uh, you shouldn't miss. 
uh, Colin Farrell is an incredible actor, and he demonstrated such range from the Penguin and the Batman to Patriac in the Banshees of Inishurin that even Kate Blanchett couldn't come close to matching his twenty his 2022. Brendan Fraser, too, still has it, starring in the touching drama The Whale. Um, Austin Butler and Daniel Deadweiler made great debuts in Elvis and Till, respectively. Sarah Polly, uh, who directed the Telling Women Talking, gave stellar roles to Jesse Buckley, Judith Ivy, Rooney Mara, and Ben Wishaw. What else did we see here this year? Triangle of Sadness. This won the Palm Door, the Palm Door in Cannes earlier this year. But that affirmation shouldn't diminish its funny, telling look at the very wealthy and what happens when their fortunes become meaningless. Uh, what else do we have? You have women talking. It may have seemed like a simple premise, woman in a colony debating the merits of leaving, but its presentation was so strong you felt like you were right there in the hayloft with the participants. Glass Onion, Knives Out Mystery, Ryan Johnson in uh, is the heir apparent to all these 70s and 80s directors who assembled large casts and let them run free. Glass Onion gave Daniel Craig another shot at proving he could be uh, his generation's Hercule Perot, helping friends discover who's right and what's wrong. And other movies, let's see, let's take a look here. We've also got Everything Everywhere All at Once. The Daniels, as directors Daniel Kwan and Daniel Schienert are known, took a simple idea going to an IRS audit and spun it out into a story of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, Tar, you can see glimpses of other films like The Wife in this razor-sharp account of an acclaimed conductor and the trail of tears she leaves wherever she goes. Um, let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, yes, can't forget this one, Top Gun, Maverick. In case James Cameron was wondering, this is how you bring a hit film back to life. Um, and, uh, you know, you get your your casts of hot shots and you let Tom Cruise work his magic as the leading action star. While the film has been percolating for some time, the wait was worth it. A need for speed, Maverick didn't have to worry about that. Elvis. Boz Lerman knew how to honor the legend, tell of a few truths, and gave a new actor a great showcase. And then there's R, that's R-R-R. Since Parasite won the best picture of Oscar audiences, have been looking in places other than Hollywood for entertainment. And this Indian film, directed by S.S. Rajolamoli, had such movement and chilling attacks, it was impossible to resist. So lots and lots of great films uh, that you need to see before the end of the year. Or you can see them, of course, at the beginning of the new year. And that just about does it here for the reading of The Courier for Thursday, December, December 29th. And we've got only two days before the new year. Um, I would like to wish you all a healthy, happy, prosperous new year coming up. And I am your reader, Peter Welch, and you've been listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network uh, for the Blind and the Disabled. Take care, everybody. Again, Happy New Year, and we'll be together again very soon. Bye-bye, everybody.